Okay, sure. So Red Square Consulting is a customer experience consultancy. We specialize in really three things, customer research, qualitative research. Then we put those uh, insights into either strategies or tactics, depending on what the client needs to solve at the moment. And we also do facilitation and training. And we specifically focus on techniques like design thinking, innovation, basically how to solve problems differently in a creative way. Okay. We founded the company in 2014. It's been some time and we're still here. The company was founded with a single mission in mind to inspire businesses to be more human through customer understanding and empathy. So that's where kind of research component comes in. That's where we go for getting insights and information and data about the customers. Okay. So you basically help companies improve their experience for the customers to make it a better flow, more empathetic journey. Yes. So that's, that's a, a good summary. Our clients typically have a specific problems that they bring to be solved. So a few examples, for instance, would be their, their customer metrics are not good. Maybe their surveys are coming with some low satisfaction score. Their NPS net promoter score is low. Maybe their culture is not very customer centric, especially companies who have been around. You know, a lot of them focused on different things like operations, you know, products, processes. It's all important, but if the company wants to kind of change the mindset and be more customer focused, so we can help with that. Also, there has been a lot of interesting debates and thoughts around generational cohorts. You know, what do we do with the millennials? What do we do with Gen Z? You know, those are baby boomers. They're still around. What do we do with them? So we have a point of view on that. Uh, we do presentations and we do some actually work on site with um, usually kind of a human resources component of the companies to help them adjust to that. Okay, so really a wide range of things you could be involved in depending on what their particular problem is. Well, there's a wide range, but we only do three things. We do research, <laughs> we, we, we put a plan together, and then we, we do training and facilitation. That's all we do. We don't do digital marketing, we don't paint walls, we don't install plumbing, we don't do that. So, yeah. yeah, good job. Just, good just, job. just, just three things. <laughs> so tell me a bit about your background. What brought you to the point of, I want to start this consulting business? I am kind of like a late bloomer, if you will, in a, in a startup 
world. Although I did have a business in my 20s, so I take that back. It was my second bloom. So I was in my early 40s. I had a very successful and fulfilling career in a corporate sector. I was working in a Fortune 200 financial services company and everything was great, but there was kind of like this nag inside me, well, I can do more. There's so much more to offer. So I just kind of wanted to spread my wings and uh, to be honest, find my voice kind of independent of the corporate setting. So, so that just kind of inspired me to get ready for my next step. And that happened in 2014. And I've been in business since then. You can probably decipher by now that I'm not from Texas. So I was born and raised in Moscow. Well, back then it was the Soviet Union. Things like customer centricity, customer understanding, or empathy, God forbid, were not sort of in the embedded in the society. As a customer, you were always wrong. That was, that's, that's how I remember things. So it probably provided a good sort of fertile soil for me when I started learning that craft in, in the United States. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I totally understand how that feels because I was on the receiving end of not being valued as a customer and not really having any, any voice in my customer journey, if you will. And my business partner and I, we truly believe that thinking from a different perspective and practicing empathy in uh, not just in your personal life, but in your business, setting is a very powerful tool to create new ideas. It's actually a great impetus for innovation. And it also enables us to make decisions which are not just business-centric, but also customer-centric. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. So this yeah. is like a, has a deeper meaning for you that you Absolutely. Know, yeah. goes back. And so, so it sounds like you had a business in your 20s, that you worked for corporate, now you're starting another business, so really, it's never too late to do what you want to do. Nope. Doesn't have to be a linear path between working a job or starting a business. No, and I would encourage your listeners to just kind of free themselves of whatever, you know, if, if they're, they're invested in some kind of a formula. Oh, you're just past 25 years old, so you're too old to do anything. You're like, or, or you know, 30 years old, you know, that's it. You're not gonna make it. So I, I just think it's just a lot of noise and we have to listen to ourselves and our individual kind of calling and situation. For me, for instance, it was easy to start a business in my forties. All the children were grown, you know, the college bills were paid off. So it was, you know, honestly kind of a, I can't say it was safe because it really, never is safe to start something new but in financial terms that like i wasn't worried will my mortgage will be paid next month i mean i knew it would so it was definitely much more solid financial ground yeah me. in my 20s it was different my mortgage did depend on on the business and it was different but um, you know just everybody has their own season and their own timing when to do things so yeah go for it so let's talk more about the finances. And you mentioned you had your mortgage paid in this situation, so you weren't taking a lot of financial risk in that sense. How much money did you have to put into the business initially, and when did you become profitable? Well, 
Okay, so my um, my kind of setup was every year we would get a corporate bonus and I thought, well, I could just take that bonus and reinvest it in the business because it really was just kind of money that I would typically put into savings. So my family was very supportive, my husband was very supportive and he said, well, sure, do that, I'll, I'll you know, feed you for free for a year. And I thought that is a very good deal. So I took it. My bonus... I think it was a little short of 20,000. So I just kind of put it all in a separate account. And for me, it was kind of pretty simple. Like, well, if I run out of money and nothing happens, I run out of money and I'll just go find a job. But I didn't have to find a job. So then I paid myself back. Okay. I think you asked when I became profitable. So there are kind of two things. I mean, you have to generate revenue to become profitable. It's important for the listeners to like, hey, if you're generating revenue, it's already a good thing. It doesn't mean you're profitable necessarily, but, but at least you have source of income coming. My business, the way I set it up, it's fairly low overhead. I really do not have a lot of expenses that you would typically, as I don't have real estate expenses. I've always worked from home and I would rent an office on demand. My biggest expense is contract labor because everybody who works with the company is a, is a kind of contractor. I don't have any employees. Again, that's by design. That's how I wanted to run it. So it took me about maybe eight to 10 months to land a paying client. And after that, I became profitable because again my overhead was not substantial so let's just say 12 months okay so you you probably weren't spending money on very much other than your contracted partner maybe like accounting software things like that well I mean it's it's amazing how easy it is to spend money so what what I did and what my kind of recommendation would be for your business. I mean, there is no need to be exuberant and buy everything new and build a new office building, but you have to make a realistic assessment. What are the table stakes for my business? I mean, I know friends of mine have a video recording business. I mean, you have to invest in good equipment. That's table stakes. You can't just run around with, you know, camcorder from 10 years ago and do that. So for me, I had to invest in a professional website. I had to invest in a good and clear copy, like what am I doing, what we're not doing. So that takes a lot of time. I, I did have to set up all the accounting infrastructure. So just kind of take an inventory of what is important, what are the table stakes, you know, what, what would affect my credibility and what can I not afford to mess up. So for instance, website for me, it's not a huge sales tool, but professional website is important for me because my clients are corporate clients primarily or nonprofit, it's it's an organization. I could have designed a website on GoDaddy with, you know, cartoon images. It's just, and it maybe would have been, you know, under a hundred dollars, but that's just not what. Did not speak to my brand. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned you were doing something similar in the corporate world before jumping into this. How did you go about getting that first client after the first 10 to 12 months in business? I relied on my network that I that and that still is my primary kind of marketing tool is the word of mouth and somewhat of a LinkedIn postings, kind of thought leadership, repost articles and point of views. So I never really 
built in your robust digital marketing capabilities. And again, it was by design. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to build a list of 10,000 of people because that's not what my product is. My product is rather specific. It's niche and my services, you know, products and services. I did try it though, and, and I suspended the, the email marketing. It just was not the right tool for us. So yeah, for me, it was mostly network. The way I landed the first client, it's, it's always, you know, you, you get a lead, you talk, you discuss, you size each other up. Do I want to work with them? Do they work to, want to work with me? Can I solve the problem effectively? So it's, it's, it's a process, and especially if you work with companies, they can't just make a decision right away. There's procurement, there's compliance, there's legal, there's a lot of steps for us people to. Lots of hoops to jump through, so I don't feed my marketing very much. It just kind of network and being part of the tribe. So walk me through a typical day in the life. What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What did it look like at the beginning when you started, and what does it look like today? Well, the life of a consultant or life of this particular cons consultant, I kind of have two worlds. I have the world of business development, when I don't have, I'm just hustling, that's a professional term, to, to get clients. And then once I get client, I just, I just work and try to focus on the work and the specific project. The day of hustling, it just depends on what, what's kind of on the calendar. I uh, do a lot of local events. If there's nothing kind of local happening, there's always opportunity to write a post or change something on the website. We also develop new training classes and, and facilitation programs with my partner. So it's kind of a business development hustling time. So the day would be kind of structured around that. When we have client work, it's obviously focused on the client. So if it's research, we do research. We research varies. We, on one project, we did um, ethnographic studies in three metropolitan areas. So we would go to people's homes and report their interactions with certain financial services products. So that was interesting. It's not typical, but it can happen. In the time of the pandemic, we learned to do research over Zoom, which you don't drive anywhere, but it's you, you kind of manage the virtual room. So that happens, then you analyze you know, what you heard and write a report summary and discern significance of what, what are the major insights. We do a lot of, we work very, very collaboratively, so we, we work with the project team a lot and we shape the ideas and next steps together. So it's just kind of typical project work. Yeah. So when you're working with clients, you're pretty immersed in that and that's all you're focused on. And then yeah. when you don't have clients. Yeah. I don't have bandwidth to do both. I mean, sometimes I have to, but I prefer not to do business development when I already have a client. We're a small organization, so, and, and we don't want to work ourselves to death. That was deliberate kind of quality of life and having some flexibility was important for us. And plus I already worked myself to death in the corporate side. That, that's not what I was personally after. So it's it's kind of a conscious state where we, we would prefer to do one thing at a time. Sure. So you mentioned you work with contractors, you don't have employees by design. How many contractors do you have sort of on staff? Most of them are listed on my website. I have probably a group of 
you know, let's just say 10 people that are, they're vetted, they're trusted. I worked with them. I would let them watch my kids. My kids don't need to be watched anymore, but I mean, they're very, they're professionals and they're just trustworthy people. And that's, that's very important to us that we, we have that caliber of people who works with us. Yeah, absolutely. So do they have specific roles and you just bring them on sort of as needed? Yeah, yeah, they have specific skill sets. So we have several uh, anthropologists that they're usually lead the research and do that kind of work. We have specific angle of uh, C-suite executives. We need them when, you know, we talk to C-suite executives and if they're a certain age and a certain gender and a certain skin color, they prefer to talk to people like them. And I'm not kind of don't fit the profile so we onboard the senior executive you know they're they have different experience that my business partner and i don't don't have as much so we have that profile then we just have a lot of expertise in specific industry or domain like customer experience how to facilitate what to facilitate what to look for what problems to solve so we i, I have just practitioners that know the service design, customer experience, uh, user experience design. Oh yeah, that is fascinating that you have people that are similar to the clients that you bring on because they'll listen to them more with, you know, you said gender, age, experience. When did you, you've been doing this for eight years, did you always have them? Did you, from the beginning, did you know that that was needed or when did you? No, but you know, there are, there are people who don't want to listen to two women, and, and that's fine. We typically don't really, it's, it's just not a good match, neither for them or for us. If the arrangement is made and we, we do meet with like board members and extended leadership team, I mean, it does help that we have somebody on staff who says, look, I've been there, I've done that, I ran a bank, I ran a you know, sales office, and um, I ran a call center, and this is how it, 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 it does bring cre credibility. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It helps when you can relate to someone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a skill set that we don't have. And, you know, the workplace is changing, and I hope that there will be more people in consulting who look like us, like Tara and I, and, and really... We're not women of color, but but I hope that there will be more of that. It's changing slowly, but you just have to adapt and do what you need to do. Yeah. So at what point did you know you needed help with the business? How far along were you yeah. in And what do you mean by help? Well, having contractors, starting to vet people that you could bring on to help, having your your business partner. Well, typically it's kind of, it's help with staffing the project. So when the project is like, I know it's just about to be signed, that it's like in the, in the land of procurement mystery. So I would reach out and say, look, we need that type of skill. And those are the deliverables because it requires a level of specificity when you hire somebody for, for specific job i can't just say well just come hang around with me and wait for for something to happen so it's kind of like writing a job description this is what the project is about this is what i expect you to do ideally i would because they're all highly experienced people i would seek their expertise and kind of crafting this is the statement of work this is what we're going to do for you and this is what we're going to deliver there is an understanding what those people will be working on how much and what will they deliver okay 
Well, that's such a smart way to do it, especially if you're small consulting. That's how everybody does it. Oh, really? I mean, it's not a it's not an innovative way of running business. It's just how things work in, in many I think yeah. in many businesses. If you don't need employees, like I don't, it's efficient, yeah, and effective. Like in my industry. You know, a lot of people who, who want to do their own thing, they don't want to be employees. They have so many skills, they can work on several projects at the same time. So it's um, not even, for me, kind of a feasible thing to offer to, not everybody, but it's like people just want to be independent and then kind of do their own thing. And yeah. it's like, oh, have a project for me, great, I'll, I'll work on it. But then they go do their own thing. Yeah. So it's really win all around? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, so what, um, I know you had experience doing this in the corporate world and you've had a business before, but what resources did you find the most helpful to learn about different things, whether it's books, podcasts, YouTube channels? Sorry to disappoint the, the podcast audience. I'm just not, I'm just never been a good consistent listener of podcasts. So that probably was the medium I used the least, not that they're not good podcast. I really can't comment on it. I didn't use it very much. But I'm a prolific creator and I like to learn new things. So, and there are tons of books. Just just pick, pick. I mean, a lot of them are quite, quite good um, and insightful. I guess it depends on what you want to learn. Do you want to learn how to set up a business? Do you want to learn how to set up a consulting business or a video production business or technology business. There's a lot of books about startups who want to change the world with one app. I'm not, that, that, that doesn't fit my business profile. So uh, I'm not really a technology company, but there's a lot of good resources on that. So what I did, I really used the method that I, I practiced what I preach. So I did research and I did research with business owners who, whom I knew or I asked to be introduced to, to some. And I just interviewed them. I, at that time, I had a specific list of questions. And that really what kind of drove my initial plan into how I want to set up the business. Again, I, I have a business background. I have an MBA, so I did not need a lot of kind of business fundamentals. So it was helpful for me to have, but I had, I needed a different kind of guidance. And it's important to realize, like, look for resource, not just generic, but exactly like if you're going to be a coach, look for those type of resources. If you're going to be like an I don't know, influencer, still not sure what that means. But so for me, my interviews with business owners really yielded a lot of good insights. Just to share a few, my dear colleague George shared with me, I really was afraid to kind of like leave, leave a cushy job and a paycheck and all the benefits that just, you know, it, it's a big leap for people who used to depend on that. And he kind of sensed that and he said, look, you know, what you're doing is very difficult and brave and much more difficult than finding work finding a job and then he said you know if this doesn't work out you can always find a job and that just kind of like that's what I needed to hear at that time I'm like yeah sure of course I can find a job so that just kind of released me from my fears and I moved forward my other good friend AJ who owns a successful digital marketing company 
He removed another block, like, well, I just can't spend any money because I'm not making any money, therefore I'm just going to sit there and, I don't know, just, just work with, with that one Sharpie that I have. <laughs> so he just kind of said, look, you have to invest in yourself. Like, if you need, uh, you need to invest in good people, you need to invest in good systems, you need to invest in a good accountant and in a good lawyer, and that is very important. So just kind of like... You know, if you have some knowledge gaps, invest in that. So again, that kind of released a block for me because I was like, well, I can't spend any money because, you know, I'm not making any. And it's like you'll just be stuck in that rut forever. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful. My uh, longtime kind of mentor and a friend, Mark, basically he said, look, if you don't like selling, you shouldn't start a business. It, it was not quite directed to me. It was a general statement, which I think is very true. Because as a business owner, you're the face of your business. And mm -hmm. yes, you can hire a sales team, but, but you're still the face of the business and you will have to sell, whether you like it or not. Although I still don't like selling, I, I don't really think about it as selling, although we do sell something like mostly ourselves every day. So those are just a few of many just incredible insights that were helpful to me. And I did research. That's what I did. Yeah. So, so on that selling point, because I think a lot of people struggle with this who have a product or service that they believe in, but they are not, don't consider themselves salespeople. So as someone who has been running a successful business for eight years now, who is not a salesperson, how do you reconcile that? Well, it's something that has to be done. It's not a unique method, but I reframed it for myself. Well, first of all, you get used to it, kind of being on stage and talking about the business, but I reframed it for myself, so I'm not really selling anything. I, it's not like I, you know, in 30 minutes I need to land a sale and sign a contract. I really, my kind of mindset is I'm, I'm passionate about something, I believe in it, so I'm educating people and telling them kind of case studies that, that worked well. And it's up to them to choose and decide if, if, if they want to use it for their organization. I think being passionate about something, believing in what you do, knowing that you add value, and having, in, in my case, I do have proof that it did work very well in, in some instances. Not, it's not a panacea, it doesn't work for anyone, but having proof helps. So it just kind of gives you that confidence that, look, this is my message and this is, this is my story. And that's what you're, you're telling your story. You're not particularly selling. Right. So. Well, especially it sounds like if you're leading with helping people and adding value and you said not worried about getting a sale in 30 minutes. So you're not, when you're not leading with the money, not driven by the money, it sounds like that helps a lot too. Well, for me, it does. I can't speak for everybody. I mean, the point of business is to make a profit eventually otherwise it's a hobby so that's what you just kind of sunk money into and, and just enjoy it nonetheless so for me having a mission having a purpose believing in in something having value if you're there offering something in, into the universe you might want to kind of get aligned with what is it why am i here uh, what value am i what problem am i solving so that kind of grounded approach helps a lot. Yeah. And then if you do the right things, I mean, money is sort of, it's not, it's the result of your action. I mean, money is just a really artificial concept developed by, by people, just like a lot of concepts are just like, they, they don't exist. It'll happen. Somebody will pay for your services, but it's, yeah. it's not something that I lead with.
Right. Yeah. Money will come. So, so you've been doing this for eight years now. And so over that time, I'm sure that's given you a lot of opportunity to make mistakes and learn things from it. So what has been your favorite failure? Favorite failure? Well, I don't like failures, so I don't think I have a favorite one. <laughs> so I, it's kind of been a fashionable trend in business to kind of romanticize failures. And I, I personally don't get it in, in that particular sense. I, I do get it that people make mistakes and that we learn from something that didn't quite work out. Whether it's failure or not, I mean, I guess it's, we all can judge individually. There's really nothing in, in my business that I thought that I did would be just a complete total flop or a failure. You know, I did research, I don't really make reckless decisions. I mean, there are things that didn't work out and you reflect on and learn from them and you can title it as a failure and celebrate it. I, um, I mean, there are things I learned along the way, like investing in real estate thing is not my, my really, it doesn't bring joy. I read a book, I know one of those rich dad, poor dad, it's like, oh, you can make money with real estate. So uh, it just kind of taught me, you know, reading books and doing things that work for other people might not work for me. So I tried it. can't say that I failed because we resold that property and it, it, it did fine. So I didn't lose money at the end, but it just was really miserable experience for me, did not uh -huh. like it at all. So I'm like, if anybody wants to flip houses, do not invite me into that business. It's just not my, like I, I learned it the hard way. So to me, I would just call it, it's, it's a learning, it's an insight. Uh, maybe in tech world, it's failure is a better term. I, I'm just all for like test, learn, you know, recalibrate, sort of make adjustments. Yeah. And, and just kind of, don't, don't be reckless. You, if the situation calls for it, <laughs> go for it. But, yeah. but for me, in, in, in a way that I started my business, it was not just I woke up one day and said, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of put a lot of thought and, and planning in that. It usually pays off. Yeah. So what you're saying is we should not ask this question to people in the future? The I, not at all. It just, I, you might get interesting stories. It just, like, I don't connect with celebrating failure. I think it's kind of a corporate, like, created on Google and Amazon when projects didn't work out and they okay. need, needed to sort of boost morale. I, I just don't. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I connect with, like, you, okay, things didn't quite turn out. You learn from it. Yeah. It's like my soup didn't come out. Isn't that a failure? Like, I, I, I don't know, but I know not to put like just yeah. Like, I, I just think about it differently. So, yeah. And I, I'm not gonna plan personally any failure celebration parties. I, I would <laughs> probably title them differently. So. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. No, but but ask and see. Like you should seek diversity. I'm just one of your many people. You you yeah. might get a fantastic response to it. Yeah. Like like there was one on um. On the radio this morning, they picked up a noise and in, in like there's a telescope in Berkeley and they're looking, searching for alien sounds. So they picked one promising signal and did tons of research. To make a long story short, it was a faulty lead. So it probably was like faulty cell tower that was making that noise. But was it a feeling? I mean, people kind of like left it and then said, hey, 
you know, we learned, now we know how to, so, but nobody yeah. said, like, we failed, and, oh my god, we didn't find aliens, therefore, it didn't. Right. Um, Wasn't it just, anything? you know, things just sometimes go the way they go. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look that story up. Okay, so just to end on a note of giving back, helping people in the community, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to someone who is just starting out on their consulting or coaching journey? Well, there's probably so many. Let me, let me see if I can limit to three. Well, number one, um, I guess I'll just sum it up from what, what we talked about here. It's kind of do your own research. And what I mean by that is do research with your customers and test the potential idea. So just because we think it's a wonderful idea and we're in love with it doesn't mean that the world is going to love it in, in, with an equal passion. So it pays off to kind of test it uh, in a marketplace. And there are lots of ways to do it for coaching and consultants. The easiest way would be to collect pain points, do interviews, just kind of like what, what you and I are doing. And the second kind of piece of research is ground yourself. What value am I bringing? Why, why does the world need another coach? Why does the world need another consultant? Because God knows there are plenty of those. So kind of figure out what is your your mission and your purpose and what what drives you it's important to kind of get grounded and it's important to then you you start building your tribe it's like who are the people that i'm trying to attract because the reason there are so many coaches because one size doesn't fit all so you probably will attract specific audience sort of doing some research on that is very helpful too number one probably would be have your unique message and kind of be yourself Again, as, as many resources and advice as we have, it's important to internalize all that. What works for, I don't know, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Tony Robbins, and whatever might not work for you. I mean, they're all great, accomplished people. Good for them. Find your own story. Find your own words. And, and make sure that your head and your heart are connected. Because what I see a lot of, especially startups, approach business with, uh, with very investor pitch mindset this is my this is my business this is like it's just because tomorrow they're going to be on shark shark tank and they're going to get you know ripped by those those aggressive judges and then and like everything needs to be articulate and makes money and that's all great if you're preparing for shark tank but if you're not then it's just helpful to align your message with your heart purpose and with obviously do do business work as well yeah and I guess uh, number three is, and again, it just it worked for me, especially in that area. Give before you take, and what I mean by that is, don't let the money Im imprison you. That that you just can't do anything until you get this one paid client. Sometimes to get a paid client, you need to do, you know, three free workshops or do some free coaching or do networking and just talk to people and uh, you know there's just a lot of way to give because what you do is 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 helpful and you know you're just you know trying to help people at the end and kind of looking looking for those who would join your tribe but for me giving before sort of demanding anything in return um, has been kind of a good approach in life and business okay so. i love the concept of give before you take i'm thinking though that there's probably some people listening who have the mentality that 
they're going to give away the secret sauce. They don't want mm -hmm. to give out too much because they're afraid that other people won't mm -hmm. pay for it. So what would you say to those people? Well, I say to those people, kind of like there's really all secret sauce has been invented. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least for the most part. I mean, unless you have your secret like Coke formula or, or kind of like a lithium battery that, that can you can drive a car around the world five times and it won't run out. Then if you have that, that's that's awesome. But there's really very few things that kind of like theory of relativity type of or type of a discovery. So everything has been tried and said. And I guess what my advice would be that there is probably some kind of a block, kind of a fear that needs to be released. Like I started doing dancing. There are like professional dancers posting their videos and it's like secret sauce or secret sauce. I mean, it would take me 20 years if, if, if that would do it to like achieve that mastery. Right. It's just not going to happen, but like I'm glad they posted that I can admire it. So if you want to kind of keep the, this a secret and, and build walls, I mean, yeah, we can build walls or that's fine, whatever, whatever that leads you to, I don't know. Or we can build a community, we can build a tribe, and with that you start giving something. And if there's something you're not comfortable in, you know, giving, I mean, don't give it away. I mean, it, it's probably all individual. But in coaching and consulting, like really, there's just nothing new under the sun. People, there's just like, yeah. It's like my unique methodology and then you, you get an acronym and it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I've, I've seen it all. There's like, yeah. It, it would take a lot for me to be impressed with some unique ideas. So do the work, show up, give, give, give something before you take and build a tribe instead of walls. Whatever fears people might have, there's just probably a way to work through them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for sure. letting me interview you today. This was a lot of fun. Any time. Oh, and did it end? Yeah, I don't know. Perfect time. You. Thank you guys so much for listening to Building a BTS. You can also find the video version on YouTube and we're on Instagram and TikTok as well under the handle at Building It BTS. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps us. We're interviewing a lot of really exciting small business owners currently, and the next episode is coming out very soon.